I'm Emily, and this is From Hustle to Hell Yes, the podcast with insights and interviews about entrepreneurship, the culture of work, and how to build a business that thrives with you. You'll walk away from every episode with ways to create more ease, enjoyment, and effectiveness in your business so you can really play by your own rules. Hey, y'all. I am so excited about today's episode because today, Ellen Yin, the founder and podcast host of Cubicle to CEO, is joining me today on this episode of From Hustle to Hell Yes. Ellen's journey from Cubicle to CEO began when she quit her corporate marketing job at the end of 2017 without a backup plan. Ellen is a self-described accidental entrepreneur. She landed her first client a month into her job search and decided she would never submit a resume again. Ellen bootstrapped her business, scaling that initial client project into seven figures of revenue. I can't wait for you to hear our conversation. We talked about marketing minimalism, how to get off of that hamster wheel of content creation, how to really be productive within your business, her secret ingredient that takes your effort to the next level. Um, we even got into talking about, you know, no matter what size your audience is, the opportunity you have as an entrepreneur to engage meaningfully with your audience and serve them as individuals is always available to you. And she shares her tips and tricks and strategies for doing that. So without further ado, I'm so excited uh, for this conversation and for you to hear all of the nuggets of valuable information that Ellen shared. Oh my gosh, Ellen, welcome, welcome, welcome to From Hustle to Hell Yes. I am so stoked that you're here. Um, and and just to get started, I um, I want to ask you how you got here. How what? Share with us what it is that you do, how you got to be in this position. Sure. Well, Emily, thank you so much for having me on your show. I love your podcast name. I think it's just so fun and motivating and encouraging. And I, oh man. Okay. So the 32nd version of my story, or maybe 60 seconds is I quit my corporate job at the end of 2017. I was 23 at the time. I had no idea what was next for me. And I actually did not have the intention to start my own business. But while I was searching for jobs, um, you know, a month later, I happened to get my very first client. Uh, and this client was actually an ex colleague of mine at the company that we had both worked at that I had left. And they were my very first Instagram marketing client. They paid me $300 to basically do everything for their social media marketing. And I think that opportunity really gave me the the aha moment that I had a skill that was could be monetized and that if I could land this one client for this small project, I could go out and land bigger client accounts and repeat the process over and over again. And so that's exactly what I did. And within my first 12 months of starting my business, I, you know, we, we reached six figures and over the years we've worked with dozens of amazing brands and clients, everyone from small mom and pop startups, like my very first client, all the way up to fortune 500 brands. And more recently in 2020 and beyond, um, 
we made a pivot to really focusing on our online courses and programs. And so like you, I'm also a podcast host. I host the Cubicola CEO podcast, and we have a membership of the same name, Cubicola CEO, where we help service providers and coaches make their first $10,000 month with a one-on-one service without relying on a large following a website or posting every day. And so that's really where my heart is at this year. We're really focused on helping 500 women reach that 10 K month month milestone. And so in short, that's, that's how we landed here. That is such an amazing trajectory that you've created for yourself. And I just want to say like how amazing it is that you had that aha moment, because I think so often um, we don't actually hit pause long enough to have the aha moment. And so we would have missed out on your brilliance had that not happened. Um, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) One of the things, so one of the things that um, I love about what you do is you talk about marketing minimalism Mm -hmm. and, um, and I want to talk about, you know, what is that? What can you what can you tell us about it? What's sort of like the secret to mastering that? Because I have to tell you that I'm, pro- and I'm probably not the only one. It is super hard to, um, to not feel the, the FOMO in when it comes to marketing. Oh, a thousand percent. Yes. Yeah. And I'm a marketer, so I get it. I get it. Like the FOMO is real. It is ever present and it will lure you in unless you are super intentional. So marketing minimalism is this idea that I kind of adapted from, when Marie Kondo blew up and, you know, she, I mean, if, if you know Marie Kondo or you don't know her, she is basically known for being a, uh, a minimalist and helping you declutter your home. Right. She's the one that's like, you throw out things that don't give you joy. And so I was like, you know what? I feel like that same concept should be applied to marketing because I know a lot of business owners who did not create a business because they wanted to become marketing professionals, unless you are one. Right. But most people that's not their dream. And yet they find themselves spending the majority of their business hours trying to market their business. And they're spread so thin because they've been told by everyone everywhere. You need to post every single day. You need to grow your following. You need to grow your list. You need to do this, that, and the other preach. (laughs) Yes. And then there's so many trends and so many tactics and all these things that pop up that it becomes extremely overwhelming. So what I find is that a lot of people end up on what I call the content hamster wheel and they're working, 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 and they're wearing busy, like a badge of honor. And yet they're gaining no actual traction in their business in terms of revenue growth or client growth. And so this idea of marketing minimalism is actually getting really intentional with your marketing strategy and understanding that when, when you are a solopreneur, or if you have not yet made six figures, there is really no reason for you to be on every single platform because that actually just dilutes your efforts. And I really believe that a strong, yeah. So I'm glad you agree with that. I believe Emily, that a strong marketing machine should really have three core elements, a traffic generator, a leads generator, and a sales generator. And really ideally you should only have one of each. So one main traffic source, one way that you capture all your leads and one way that you convert those leads into paying clients. And that's, that's the system that we teach in, in my membership in cubicle, the CEO. And I really find that, um, if you can, if you can reduce what you do, you're actually going to have greater impact. Yes, that, oh, that is the thing, right? It's 
the dilution effect is real. And when you are busy creating posts for Facebook and Instagram and your YouTube channel and your blog and all of the things, all of your energy is going into that marketing piece, but where is it actually taking your business? So you, it's kind of twofold. You have to have that plan and you have to have a path for getting there. And the simpler that you can make that path for yourself, actually the more focused you can be um, and the more value you can bring, right? Mm -hmm. um, so I love hearing that. And one of the things that I heard you say is that really caught my ear. I, I perked up. I was like, yes, this um, is wearing busy as a badge of honor. I think that's that we actually kind of live immersed in this culture, whether you call it hustle culture, I call it toxic capitalism. I think I've even heard you call it employee mindset, right? So there's all these phrases that we can use, but the bottom line is that there's these like kind of unwritten rules that we've all been taught, right? Um, you know, everything from do more and do it faster, productivity is self-worth. And I wonder if you can share with us a little bit more about how you frame employee mindset and maybe how we might begin to consider flipping that for ourselves, because that's part of it is that if I'm not busy, then I'm not, I'm not doing the thing that I said I was going to do. Right. Absolutely. So I'll, I'll touch on, um, I'll touch on my perspective on productivity and like what that really means in business. But as far as employee mindset, most often when I'm talking about employee mindset, I, I tend to mean that when you are an employee, right, you, your time is really your money. And so most of the time you're being paid hourly. And so you, you actually cannot earn more money without working more hours. And so therefore right. I think it's really ingrained in us that the longer we work, the harder we work, the more money we will make. It's interesting though, because if you really observe the wealthiest people in the world, um, most of the time their wealth actually comes from their assets, producing the money, not from themselves producing the money. And so of course they had to work to acquire the assets. Right. But, right. but there's, there's a certain point, a leverage point that you hit where your, your, work is, is almost a smaller piece of what actually creates the results. And so as, as far as productivity though, I feel like I agree with you hundred percent. I think all the messaging out there is about how can you do things faster? Like if you could be more efficient, there's like such a prioritization on efficiency and don't get me wrong. Like we all want to be more efficient in our lives, yeah. right? Like nobody wants to do things the hardest way possible, but yes, right. at the same time, at the same time, doing the wrong things faster does not actually create any sort of momentum in your business. And so I really feel like what's more important to think about than productivity is actually significance. So this is a concept that I actually learned from a book called procrastinate on purpose, which of course I was drawn to because I'm a lifelong procrastinator. Yeah. I was always that person, like last minute before finals, like pulling an all nighter, probably not the best thing, but Hey, we, we, we power through. So, um, anyways, Rory Vaden is the author of this book. And I love it so much because in it, he talks about how, when we look at our to-do list, we often filter it through the lens of what is urgent, like what must be done today. Mm -hmm. And also what is important? Like, okay, this is an important task versus not such an important task, but he says, we're missing this third 
dimension to our decision-making process, which is the filter of significance. Meaning even if a task is urgent and is important, if you complete it today, does it actually add back more time and energy into your life tomorrow? Or will it continue to just suck up more time and energy because you're just gonna have to repeat the process all over again. right? Right. So that like kind of blew my mind. And now I really think about things in that, in that way, I really think about, okay, I'm fine with sinking a lot of time and energy into something, but it needs to have significance. Like it needs to pay off in the long run and not just be getting me over the hump to the next day. Yes. And, and when we start thinking about our time as our most precious resource, that this becomes more important. I mean, it's the one thing that we spend that we actually never will get back money. We can spend and we can recoup that, right. We're always going to make more money, you know, even, even in creativity and, and giving away ideas, you know, well, we're going to have more ideas, but one thing that we never get back is our time. Um, and so, So that kind of leads me, um, I kind of want to go in a different direction all of a sudden. I kind of want to talk about, you know, there's um, all this talk and it kind of ties into time because we think of if I can just reach more people, then I can spend less time doing this part, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's so much advice out there that says, you know, the size of your audience really determines your success financially. And there's like some, some truth to that. If you have zero audience, then it's really hard to to monetize what it is that you have going on for yourself if, if you're pitching to no one. But selling to a small audience can be so, so lucrative if done well. Mm-hmm. And can you tell us more about how you think about selling to a small audience and, and why that's valuable? Absolutely. So I actually had a guest on my show a while back, um, Shannon Lutz, who I've, you know, is, is an awesome human being, a friend and something that she said that really stuck out to me that sticks with me today still is she said, you know, we actually have so much privilege when we have a small audience, because we have the privilege of actually getting to know the people that are in our community. Right. Whereas if you are a celebrity or a well-known influencer, although you have mass on your side and don't get me wrong, like there's so much that you can do with a really large platform, but you, unfortunately it's just a game of, uh, I guess, physics, like there's just not enough time in the day. If you have, let's say a million followers for you to actually get to know each of those million people, it's just not possible. And so I think in, in terms of selling to a small audience, I think that the connection piece and the relationship aspect is so, um, important and those deeper relationships really make all the difference, not only in the direct sale of like, you know, me selling to you, Emily, but you, Emily, by knowing me or having this relationship with me, you're much more likely to actually go and refer your friends or to make other introductions or, or do other things. And you don't always get that when you have a really big audience. Um, the other key piece to this is I think that sometimes people feel limited to selling to their own audiences. So they feel like, okay, if I have less than hundred followers and this is all, this is my corner of the market and that's it. Like I can't go beyond these walls. And I, I teach, um, a different approach or a different marketing, uh, strategy where I really believe that your main 
time that you spend on marketing should be spent on connecting with your ideal clients where they already hang out. So even if it's not your own followers, your ideal clients exist. It's not like you have to breathe them into life. They exist somewhere on the internet and they already hang out in other communities. So you just have to go get in front of the right traffic sources. And, and that all of a sudden opens up your opportunity tenfold, a hundredfold. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about being able to do that too, is that while you're creating those connections, you're also able to learn so much about what, what you're doing and how it appeals to the people that you're appealing to. And that can really inform our decision-making. We like, I think we forget that we don't actually have to guess, like we don't actually have to be throwing so much spaghetti at the wall. Mm -hmm. If we would just take the time to ask the right questions of the right people. Right. Oh, that's so good. Emily. Yes. I I think that you just like touched on a point that honestly took me a while to really understand. I feel like, because you're right. I think so many people sit at their computers with a blank screen in front of them going, what should I write today? What should I say? What do I create? You know, so many questions when in reality you your audience or your people, even if they, they're not your audience, again, they don't have to follow you for you to have a conversation with them, right? Right. Whoever it is that you're talking to, they are literally feeding you the content. All the content you could ever need is going to come from the mouths of the people that you talk to their words, their thoughts, their problems, their challenges, what rents space in their head. Like that, that is the content. And so I don't think that we need to reinvent the wheel and create you know, shocking new content every single day. I think really the best content is the content that is consistent, reliable, and really takes the, the words and the language of your ideal clients. And and you infuse that into your messaging. Yes. And I, I feel like that ties in so nicely with marketing minimalism because you're just cutting out, you're getting straight to the point of where people are meeting your content. Right. So Absolutely. And this sort of ties into networking and getting to know your network, right? When you're just starting out your business. So you're, you're um, talking about side hustlers and, and folks, you know, who are still in their full-time gig and, um, and like trying to get themselves out into that world so they can quit their day job and, and be that cubicle uh, to CEO person. Um, and also, um, folks in that early, in those early stages of business, once they've let go of that security blanket, all of this stuff can come up. That's, that's really mindset based, but one of the ways Mm -hmm. that we can combat that is to understand how valuable the network that we have really is, whether it's online or in person. Um, And I just want to know, you know, I've heard you say that your network is your net worth. And I love this. And I don't know if you've run into this at all in your work, but um, so many business owners that I know don't seem to recognize that they actually do have a network. So you'll, I'll bring this up with like clients and, um, and they just don't realize that they have this amazing asset in front of them. Most of them have lots of friends and family. Maybe they've got a, a faith community that they're with. What do you mean when you say your network is your net worth? So, oh, I really love that point that you made, by the way, that a lot of business owners don't think they have a network. So remind me to come back to that point. Cause I have some yeah. advice for you there, but as far as what I mean by that, and you know, that's not my original saying, obviously like that, that's just a phrase that people say, but I really truly believe that people are your best assets in your business. Like there is no tactic, no strategy, no software, no 
whatever fancy thing you think you need, none of that actually will have a greater impact on your business than people period people, meaning the people you work with, like your team, your collaborators, your peers, your clients, your customers, those are your true assets in business and the relationships that you build. That is actually what pays dividends in not only your business, but your life for years and years to come. And so Um, like even when I was starting out, right. Word of mouth and, and referrals were so important to me and helping me scale my business, um, as quickly as it did. And I could not have done it without the people in my life and the connections that I had fostered over many years, unintentionally, not knowing that they would come back in this way when I started my business. But that's, I think the beauty of networks is that you, may meet someone in a completely different scenario for a completely different reason. And they may come back into your life for an entirely different reason altogether. And so I really feel like for new entrepreneurs, especially when you're thinking about where to invest your time, your money, and your energy, I really think that your network should come before even skills or mindset, because that's how much I believe in that. And so, um, one little thing that I'll just add here is that Uh, it's interesting to me because a lot of people are afraid, you know, especially at the beginning of their journeys to invest, let's say in mentors or in uh, programs or courses or whatever it is. And often their biggest question on their mind is, is this program going to give me the skills, the strategy, or teach me the thing I need to know in order to achieve X result, which is a totally valid question. Don't get me wrong, but I think the, the bigger piece of the puzzle that they forget to think about, that's actually, in my opinion, way more valuable is who are the people I will get to meet because I joined this program or because I hired this mentor or because I went to this event, those people, the peers that you are in this program with sometimes even more so than the educator or the host or the mentor, these are the people that will be your future referral partners, collaborators, potential clients, lead sources. I mean, it it is mind blowing to me how many times the value of one single relationship I created from something I invested in has paid off tenfold more than any skill I could have ever learned from that course or program. So I just want to put that out there. If, if you're someone who's kind of in that headspace right now. Oh yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, when you get the opportunity, if you're in a, in a membership of some kind, if you're in a a course that allows you to, that has like breakout sessions or allows you to interact with the other folks in the course, I've always found that to be the most valuable part of the course. And in fact, I will not any longer purchase courses unless they have that component, because that's how important I feel that piece is, you know, being able to connect with those folks, being able to get the feedback, but then also realizing I'm relationship building right now. I don't know what direction these folks are going in, but it might be really good for me to know them later and make sure that I keep that connection warm. So you mentioned, um, I just want to bring us back down to, um, back around to, um, those folks, those business owners who don't seem to recognize that they have a network. Tell me, tell me what you were thinking. Thinking about. Yeah. So here's the cool thing. When you feel like you don't have a network, the obvious advice that most people give is like, oh, well, you do have a network, you know, just like look around in the groups that you're part of and the organizations and yada, yada, yada. And that is entirely true. But I feel like one of the best ways you can actually build your network is to come from a place of service and be a connector 
first before asking to be connected. So what I mean by this is if you feel like you have no network, okay, that's fine. Like sit with that thought. Like, let's just put it aside for a second, but I want you to today, like literally pull out a pen and paper and write down three people in your life who do, who are, you know, friends or acquaintances that don't know each other, but know you, like you're the common denominator and think about of those three people, like in your recent interaction with them, who is a good connection for them? Maybe it is, you know, maybe those three people should meet each other, but maybe each of those people, you can think of one other person that, you know, that would be a really great introduction for them. And if you dedicate yourself to introducing even one new person a day. So like if you just pick one person in your circle of friends or your family or your professional network, and each day you make a concerted effort to be like, Hey, Emily, I think you really need to meet my friend, Sarah, because she blah, 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 blah. You guys have so much in common. I I just wanted to introduce you guys. All of a sudden you're going to find this ripple effect that this network that you think you don't have, you actually are going to be expanding it tenfold. And the craziest thing is like, and Sarah's, you know, made a person, but if I introduce Emily to Sarah, their origin story, their starting point is always going to have me as the common denominator. So next time they go to think about, you know, an opportunity comes up, who do you think is going to be like one of the first people they think of for said opportunity, right? Prop, maybe my name will pop into their heads. Now, of course, that's not always going to be true. The, the giving is not always reciprocal, but, um, I feel like that's not the point of it. I think if you just practice being a connector in other people's lives, you're going to all of a sudden realize you have a way wider network than you do. I resonate with this like times a million, um, (laughs) back in my corporate days, my, my last, um, day job was as community curator for a co-working studio. And I loved working there. I loved helping people make connections. Um, and, um, one of the things that I, that I noticed is that folks who were able to easily get to know the people around them. So I'm not talking like looking at the name tag and being like, who do you know, but really like being able to have a human conversation about like who they really are, what really interests them. What's, what's, you know, what can I learn about this person that maybe nobody else here knows. Right. Um, and that kind of connection I think is, is one of the few things that you can do for yourself, Mm -hmm. um, that helps you feel less isolated. So a lot of folks who get into entrepreneurship, what they realize is like, Oh, like I didn't realize I was going to be so freaking lonely doing this stuff. You know, it's like, who am I even talking to, especially if you don't have a team yet. Um, and so that's another piece that I think network and community can help fill this, like this gap of, um, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I just, I love what you said there. Um, the other thing that you said network is more important, like setting up your network, getting right with your network and, Mm -hmm. and that way of, of being in your business, um, should come before sales or mindset. And I think that's awesome. And, um, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm kind of thinking of this as, um, you know, one of the ways that we learn is by doing one of the ways that we learn is by talking about what we do. And in this way, we kind of get to experiment with what's resonating with folks with how do I talk about myself and what I do so that other people understand and want to know more out of curiosity. 
right? Um, and, and it's just like a really great way to practice, you know, practice getting to know how you want to be in your business and practice stepping into that leadership. What do you think? No, absolutely. I think that anytime you have the opportunity to, I say like the, anytime you have the opportunity to be curious and yes, like, yes, you get the opportunity to practice or to connect or to, you know, present yourself in a certain way. But I feel like anytime you have the opportunity to to just be curious in general, to Mm -hmm. be in conversation with someone and take more of a listener, uh, a listener seat than the, than the speaker, um, you learn so much that you would have never thought to ask, or maybe bring up yourself. And I think Mm -hmm. that's like where the true gold happens. And there's this great quote, um, I don't, I think it's like one of the Roosevelt's who said this. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. Attribution. Sorry. But, um, it's like you become interesting by first being interested. And I think that is so true. And that's kind of like the golden rule that I take into any networking environment Mm -hmm. is if you are the one who is showing interest and asking questions and doing whatnot, you're always going to seem like a super interesting to interesting person to someone, even if you literally didn't say anything about yourself. And so test it out. Like, seriously, this is like proven in psychology. So like, if you want to bring that, like, if you're an introvert and you're like, I literally like, don't know what to say. And I hate like being at networking events. Cause I feel like the spotlight's on me, remove that pressure from yourself. And next time you walk into a room, just make it your mission to ask as many questions as possible. And you'll never run out of things to say. Plus you'll probably be the most interesting person in the room. And you won't have even had to, again, say anything about yourself. Hands down, I have definitely seen that at work, um, at networking events that I've both organized and attended. (laughs) You can Mm -hmm. always tell um, if somebody is um, working the room in a way that feels good, first of all, um, and in a way that's getting other people to talk to them. I mean, it's really, you can just see the magic happening. So I love that, love that advice. Um, So one of the reasons, so one of the things that, that I fell in love with uh, around what you do is that you're really, really transparent about your numbers. And mm-hmm. um, and this was like mind blowing. I think you came out with this, um, this like report um, in the middle of, of 2020, which was like a really bizarre year for everyone. But you, you brought out this case study that basically reviews like seven months of your business income and expenses and includes like reflection from you about what was going on for you that month, which mm-hmm. I loved. And I'll definitely include the link in the show notes because I think everybody should get their hands on this. I loved reading it. Um, uh, and I really want other folks to take a peep at it. So I just have to know, like, what really compelled you to share your numbers and why did you feel it was important to be so transparent about that? Absolutely. So, um, the, the, the document that Emily's referring to is my six figures in six months, uh, case study. You're right. It was over a seventh month window, but I actually, I think I skipped one month. It was like May or June. I don't know. Life got to me. I just, <laughs> I did not end up releasing a report. So it was, it was six months of data. So it was how I made, you know, over a hundred thousand dollars in six months in 2019, actually. So, okay. um, it's, I started sharing my income reports in 2019. Um, and I still share them to this day. So it's going on, you know, two and a half years this is my third year now of doing this practice. And when I originally started, it was really more, um, I think at the beginning it was more for like accountability. Um, I felt like mm-hmm. 
knowing I had to, had to share, you know, what went on in my business at the end of the month, it really pushed me to kind of get outside of my comfort zone. And it was really cool to document my journey in this way. Um, and after I finished those six months releasing reports in 2019, I realized actually like the feedback that I'm getting from a lot of people, it was so positive. Like I wasn't sure how people would respond because money is such a taboo topic for a lot of people. And, you know, some people might take it the wrong way. They might feel like, you know, oh, you're bragging or like you're, you're doing this or that. And so I wasn't really sure what the feedback would be, but it was overwhelmingly positive. And so many women, especially came forward and were like, I really appreciate how transparently you shared your numbers because it made me feel okay to ask questions or to, um, to charge more to, because, you know, information is power, right? Like when people know, Oh, like other people are charging this amount for this service. I didn't even know that I'm going to negotiate higher in my next for my next client or whatever it is. And so there was just such great feedback about that. And I decided I wanted to continue it as a quarterly report on my podcast. So that's what I've been doing for the last two years in 2020. And now, you know, we're halfway through 2021. I'm about to release my Q2 income report for 2021. And getting to take people on this journey from back when I was making just a couple thousand dollars a month to, you know, we had a six figure month in, um, I think it was in February of this year. So just to see that journey and to take them with me over these last three years, I, I think the, the main hope that I have for doing this is that it, that sharing financial knowledge and being transparent with these things will help more people feel comfortable pulling up a seat to the table and having conversations and empower and elevate more women, especially, um, you know, people of color and women of color who are less likely to earn higher wages or to be in positions of power. I really think that it's just such an important conversation for us to have as women. Oh yeah. That whole, the radical transparency of it, especially around money, because if we don't know, um, what those numbers are, whether we're an employee or Mm -hmm. if we're running our own business, if we don't understand those numbers. And also if we aren't, if we aren't keeping tabs on our own numbers, right. Then I I feel like we Mm -hmm. can't, we, we won't ever really pass go, right. We'll, we'll get stuck in thinking like, oh, we've, you know, we're doing the thing we've arrived, but having this radical transparency, especially around money, because it is so taboo kind of helps us wrap our mind around money better. Right. And really understand what that value is that we're bringing and what it's actually monetarily worth, because listen, we're running businesses, right. And we care about them and we care about the people involved, right. There's no doubt about that but also it's a business and we have to make money. And when we understand uh, more about that conversation, I just think the transparency of it is so empowering. um, And I couldn't agree more. Um, And it's also, Oh, one of the things that I really loved about this report is the, is the way that um, not only are you sharing your numbers, but like, it's a great model for those of us who aren't already doing this practice, whether we're releasing Mm -hmm. it or not, but so many entrepreneurs and small business owners just kind of zombie walk through their year (laughs) and don't ever (laughs) like stop, you know, they're doing all of the things, but they're also maybe ignoring some important numbers. Um, And what that means is, 
you know, if the only time that you're ever taking stock of that is at the very end of the year, I mean, you're missing out on so much stuff that can be helpful for you in the moment. And so not only are you showing us the numbers, but you're also showing us how you reflect and take stock of that. Um, can you share mm -hmm. a little bit more about that process that you use and how you think about putting these reports together? Yeah. So it's actually, you know, it's changed a lot from when I initially released these reports in 2019, because I've changed, right? Like not only as a person, but I've changed as a business owner, as I've become more seasoned, as I've hired employees, as we've grown to over a million dollars in revenue, I'm a very different person than when I was a solopreneur, you know, trying to make my first $10,000 a month. And so, um, what I will say is that I think numbers are numbers are I hated math, right? Like growing up, I, I was not, <laughs> I was not into numbers or math, but I really feel like I've come to grow to love numbers because I feel like numbers tell a really beautiful story in your business. And if you learn how to appreciate and use data to make more informed decisions, it is going to help you so much as a business owner. And so I really think it's important, like Emily said, whether you share it publicly or not, you definitely don't have to, but it's important that you evaluate your businesses, financial health more, more than once a year at tax time. Like you really should be ideally looking at it at least once a month. And so, um, the current model that we use, um, and I've learned a lot from my finance team that I've hired, we have what we call a perfect PL, which is a perfect profit and loss statement. So at the beginning of the year, we set out, okay, we project, like, this is what we think we're going to make month over month. And based on that, we set certain ratios, um, on our, on our like budget breakdown, like, okay, okay. based on income, okay. we want, you know, like 35% of our income to go towards advertising and marketing. So customer acquisition, we want, let's say 20% to go toward labor. So team, whether that's employees, contractors, you know, everything of the sort we want, let's say 10% to go to overhead. And by breaking down, like what a perfect profit and loss statement would look like in terms of percentages and ratios, it really helps me month to month, look, compare our actual numbers to that ideal and see how close are we? Because in our business, based on my business model and your business model may be completely different, but based on my business model, which is primarily online courses and programs, um, we're shooting for a 30% pre-tax profit margin. Um, and that's after I've paid myself, I've paid my team, I've, you know, all of our expenses, yada, yada, yada. Um, and that gives us enough cash flow to not only build a sustainable foundation of reserves, um, so that if something catastrophic happened, like a global pandemic, we can survive. Right. But also, um, to have the money to continue to reinvest into further growth and scale. And so, um, that's kind of like the general budget that we've been working off of. Uh, but I think what's really important for all business owners to think about is like some metrics you should always be tracking your business is, um, how much does it cost for you to acquire a new customer or client? What is the average initial purchase that a client or customer makes? Like, what is the value of that? What is the lifetime value of your average customer or client? Um, what are you spending on delivery? So sometimes mm -hmm. this is a big mistake, especially that service providers or solopreneurs make is sometimes we think about our labor as free, meaning we're like, okay, if 
a client pays me $5,000 for a project and I'm the only one doing it. Technically it's $5,000 a profit. Cause it's free. I mean, it's me, like I'm working it, you know? So it's, it's right. free. Right. But the, right. Mis- yeah. <laughs> but the problem with that line of thinking is that you have to understand that your labor, like the, the time and the energy that you spend delivering on that service or delivering on that product, it, it actually does have a monetary value associated with it. Meaning that like, if someday you grew your business to the point where you grew out of that role and you had to hire someone to take over that role and fulfill on those tasks that you are currently doing, what is a living wage that you would have to pay them? And so beginning with the end in mind and always thinking through some of those numbers, I think is extremely important. Like you should definitively know what it actually costs you to deliver a service to a client. So I hope that helps. Yes, actually, this is brilliant because, um, because I think one of the reasons people don't do this is they run away from, um, one having to, to gather those numbers, which (laughs) P.S. It is totally time consuming. I totally get that. But the value that you get out of that later, if you can chunk that into into, um, a specific timeframe for yourself, being able Mm -hmm. to reflect on that and then actually get really freaking clear on what the actual cost of what it is that you're offering is means that you actually have a really good way of measuring whether or not you're charging properly for what you're doing, right? So if you're having this conversation of, does my pricing need to change? This is actually where that conversation has to start, right? You have to be able to know these numbers, right? Absolutely. I think that pricing is such a complex topic and a lot of it is subjective. Don't get me wrong, but Mm -hmm. I think the two most important factors you need to consider in your pricing is one cost of delivery. And that includes labor as well as materials. If, if you have a physical product and two, um, what is the value of the transformation? Like the result that you're actually providing for your client, what is that worth to them? Um, because it's, it's time should too many people base their pricing on time. And if you're basing your time, if you're basing your pricing on like, Oh, it takes me five hours to, I don't know, schedule everyone's content for the week. Like you're a social media manager. And I want my hourly rate to be $50 an hour. So I'm going to times that by five. And that's going to be, you know, what I charge. That is very much an employee mindset. And I, I would encourage you to get away from that as fast as possible, because while your time is an important factor to consider in pricing, because it, factors into cost of delivery. It is not by any means the only thing you should consider because yes, maybe it's, it takes you five hours to do, you know, a, an analogy I often use is like, if you, if your uh, pipe burst in your kitchen and you hire a plumber and they come into your house and they spend two minutes tinkering under your sink and they fix it, you would never say to them, oh, I'm not going to pay you, you know, $300 because you spent two minutes under my sink. So like, basically you're saying your one minute rate is $150 a minute, right? Like that, that would just be ridiculous, but it's not about that because the truth of the matter is because they fixed your sink, your house didn't flood. And because your house didn't flood, you didn't have to go buy a whole new house for like, I don't know, three to 400 to $500,000. And so the value of the result they give gave you is so much more than the $300 they're charging you. And so therefore that is why their pricing makes sense to you. And so it's the same thing when you do things for your clients, you need to be thinking about like, what is the result worth to the client? 
Yes. And there's such, such an important distinction. And I think a whole that so many uh, early stage business owners fall into, especially with, especially with service. I think it's so, so easy to underprice service um, mm-hmm. for exactly the reasons that you've pointed out. Um, I know that we're coming up on the end of our time together. And I just want to reiterate how amazing it has been to chat with you and get this amazing information and knowledge from you. So just want to throw it out there. Thank you so much for sharing all this wisdom with us. Um, Before you go, I'd like to know, is there anything else you'd like us to know or walk away with today? Um, And also where else can we find you? What are some places that, that um, we can soak up more of your wisdom? Well, thank you so much, Emily, for having me on the show. I'm just, I love this opportunity to get to chat with you and your people. The final word of wisdom I will leave with you is start before you're ready. There's never perfect timing. So if you're waiting for something perfect to happen, it won't, you have to be your own catalyst for change. So start before you're ready every single time. And, um, as far as where else people can connect with me. So I am most active on Instagram. So if you want to hop on over to at miss Ellen Yin on Instagram, you can hang out with me there. And I have an additional free resource for any of you, um, who are service providers, coaches, or consultants who are not yet at the 10 K month milestone. So if you're trying to get consistent clients and get to that income level, I would love for you to watch my free masterclass where we go over my consistent clients, cash flow system for how to how to get consistent clients without needing a large following or needing to post every day. So especially if marketing minimalism resonated with you, you're going to love the system. So you can access that at ellenyancom slash get clients. Wonderful. Thank you again, Ellen. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Emily. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening today. If you want to dive even deeper in today's episode, just go to www.changeagent.studio slash podcast and look for this episode's show notes, sign up for our newsletter, or hit up our Facebook group from hustle to hell yes, where we discuss and share even more resources for building a thriving business and actually playing by your own rules.